At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lombic here, the world messenger, inviting you for another great episode of the Legacy Leaders Show. And in this episode, I have a very special guest coming from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I guys cannot wait to deep dive in conversation with him. He is a thought leader, catalyst of positive change. Oh God, do we need that, don't we? Speaker, author of Believership. Yes, he does love leadership as much as I do. Has a very interesting story and background. He even patents child restraining seatbelts. Oh my goodness. And many other things that we're going to ask him now. Please welcome Mike Wakanti. Mike, how are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here with you. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on the show. And I'm sure our listeners are eager to hear so many things you already accomplished and in process of doing it. But I'm curious, first of all, how is the life in Minneapolis, Minnesota? I know you guys had a lot of press in recent months and a lot of shifts and changes for and and and, and a lot of you know stressors and uncertainty for families and, and lifestyle because things changed, didn't they? Last four or five months for all of you guys. Yeah, you know, when 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 um, George Floyd was was murdered here in Minneapolis, that set off a lot of the social unrest that's that's, you know, and call cries for social justice that are happening around the world, really. Um, it was here in our backyard. And it certainly um, changed things in the moment and for a long time. There was um, a lot of destruction to the city, which is going to have to find a way to recover. Neighborhoods were disrupted. Um, and I think that there's a lot of healing that needs to be invited in and, and take place. And I think some significant changes need to be made before that healing can begin. And, and so hopefully um, we can all engage in, in those good discussions to break down the barriers that have plagued, um, you know, many, many wonderful people for a long time. And, um, so I, I, I believe that there's, there's some positive movement, um, but it's going to be a long time to, to recover. Yes, it's unfortunate, but, but it also, as you just said, it's, it's just the opportunity to really open um, Pandora box in a way and then really look at all the pieces and everything that is being so long bottled up and uh, as a result right now unraveling in a way, right? And I'm glad you've seen some positive changes because again, being soft and there in Minneapolis and Minnesota and outside and gorgeous nature and lakes and activities and just having some friends, 
when we were watching what was going on in news, which is the heartbreaking on so many levels and almost on anything, obviously on human level, right? Because on the end of the day, we are representatives of humanity and from thought leadership aspects, I think it's extremely important to um, also show up in community that is bleeding and hurting uh, and see what we can do and help, right? Yeah, I really, I, I love that. And I think you express that so beautifully, Isabella. And, and you know, not to divert away from that particular thing, but then to put it in the context of the other motions I think we're all experiencing right now, right? We have the pandemic and we have the, the you know, social strife that needs to be addressed. And and we don't have a clear timeline in place. And, and I think it raises the awareness on a lot of the challenges that maybe we've been able to just push aside or minimize because we're in a pattern of operation that was comfortable and productive. And, and so there was no great impetus to go deep and starting to address these critical foundations because in reality we're in a new era and i don't think we've made the adjustment for that era mm, i also don't believe that we've done a good job in preparing people for what's coming next what's ahead of us i love it what you just said that and and, and specifically preparing them and and i see this huge deficit of emotional capacity to heal i mean to deal with so many issues right and juggle like we're seeing right now families juggling work from home and kids and homeschooling and you know all these responsibilities uh but as well as rest restrictions and obstacles and challenges and then of course skill sets beyond that emotional capacity uh, how now I can extend myself. First of all, I'm in crisis. How can I extend as uh, support to my loved ones? And then yet my teammates and my, you know, working environment. So everything kind of clash collide and in the same time starts also shaping and shifting, I think for some ways, in much better way. What do you think? I do. I think it points the arrow to where we need to go and and totally changes the, the dialogue that was dismissive around the human skills, right? They were they were termed as soft skills. And I think all of us clearly recognize now these are critical skills. Um, if they were actually soft skills, why are they so hard? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a very good point. And we need to take that out of the vocabulary because you're spot on. Every time we need to work on ourselves, it's extra time and dedication. And it's, it's, it's effort and it's hard and it's not easy and it requires commitment. Yes. And you use the word um, capacity. And I, I really think that is something to cent center on is how are we able to extend our human capacity or um, embrace and, and expand that human capacity so we have more self-leadership, that we allow the best people to rise in organizations, not those that you know, are adherent to some historical view of, of leadership. And those are things that I explore in my book, Believership, but it, yeah it's really based on the opportunity we have 
to embrace everyone that our idyllic models of leadership no longer serve us. And it's not allowing the diversity we need. And it's not allowing the, the new thinking and the new energy and um, um, creativity and innovation. And that's what we have the opportunity to invite in, not only at center stage, but, but really in the, in, in the taking direction to guide us or lead us into an environment that's going to be, you know, more disruptive, right? Change is going to come more significantly and more rapidly than any time in history. And again, I'm, I, I think we're at an inflection point where it's really time to prepare for that. I can't agree more with that. And, and, and I'm glad you're bringing up so many good points because right now uh, we're going through very rapid change. But in order to uh, really catch up with all of that, we need to really actually work on transformation, right? Because that is that internal lasting, internal and individual level team, but also organizational level. Because I see expectations that just by switching different systems or just by doing uh, quickly different, um, you know, projects or whatever it might be that people anticipate and just because something changed at the moment that is enough but but that then doesn't change internally dynamic the thought process as well as behavior and right now more than ever we need to really look at deeper on the behavioral level uh, and that really requires much more substantial transformation yes yes and that transformation on the behavior level as you stay, Isabella, um, you know, it's around values and ethics, right? And, and diversity mandates that we understand those values from individuals and from different cultures and, and all different perspectives from around the globe. Um, you know, suppressing women in the workplace is, is in a, it, 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 it's a terrible, practice that we've kept for a long time, holding down groups of people um, because of, of ethnicity is, is not serving us. It's not allowing us to embrace that true human capacity to, to do better because we won't go back and rip out some of those foundations, right? And those foundations are built over, you know, a century, right? So 120 years going back to, you know, when when the industrial areas were first launched, and um, we've become brilliant at orchestrating business and and processes and controls and measures, but they're no longer serving us, and that's our opportunity for, to to disrupt and and start to figure out the the ways that we need to work that are more attuned to the, the digital economy, right? So we have, we know that, you know, digital data and digital transformation is going to take off. We're failing at bringing that into organizations because we're ignoring or denying the human element. And um, that's a great opportunity, putting ethics into AI. We're kind of totally blind to that and we're already seeing some ramifications of 
not paying attention early. So yes, yes. we have work to do. <laughs> we have, we indeed do. And that is so beautiful that we have luckily a lot of great pop leaders around with the world uh, like ourselves that can really help navigate that. And one of the things you mentioned, yes, with new technology and artificial intelligence, it's like, it's also danger, right? If you have something powerful, but you don't know, use it for the best intention, it's also very important to be very responsible. And I love what you brought up about ethics and need to truly um, dive in and look at things uh, because when you have organizations that create, it creates environment of innovation and um, creativity, you know, then it's still so much more and, and you top is put on diversity is essence essential for it. So do you mind just sharing, how did you get into leadership? Uh, and then how the believership became on forefront? Because uh, I'm sure the listeners and viewers are curious about because um, title itself says a lot. And I think right now more than ever, we need a more believership. So do you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, I, um, I'll touch on both of those. And, and um, you know, it's interesting because one, I think, is kind of a positive story. And, and the true genesis of believership, Isabella, it, it was born out of a really dark place, a dark period in my life that wasn't very long ago. So um, mm -hmm. after reinventing myself three different times and then spending 20 years in in um, technology and uh, doing mergers and acquisitions with with major global companies um, many different experiences that were really rich during that time and and my teams had always performed really well but i didn't i couldn't answer why i knew that i was a common denominator but i i would have to make up a reason um, to answer that question and so i I was, um, I was going through another transition after my fifth merger and acquisition. I was moving from Seattle back to Minneapolis and, and I was kind of lost at that time. I, I, I was really uncertain what was the next step in my career or my life at that point even. And, and I was questioning everything, my, my own values, the scorecard that I had in place for myself of achievement. I wasn't really counting the things that were most important to me. I was actually at a point where in chasing um, business heights, I think I was discarding what was probably most important. And, and so I went through that, that kind of troubled time where um, I went through a lot of exploration and part of that exploration was was understanding those how people experienced me and those events that we went through together during those times of chaos and and fear and doubt and and disruption when we were going through the mergers and acquisitions and so the uh 40 some thick packets of of 360 feedback that came back and created that base um, really pointed to things went well. Those teams achieved very well. People um, found their their power and their and their their motivation um, because they believed in what we were doing or they believed in me 
leadership. But they, they saw the vision or the mission or the path that we were on. And it was because they believed that they did great work. So the leader has less influence than I think we give them credit for often. But when we look through time, every great leader, they weren't all the same thing. They, they were different in more ways than they were the same. Although we try to find the, you know, three same traits of, of great leaders, which, you know, we never include brushing their teeth because I'm sure it was in there. Um, <laughs> so there's always four. If there's three, there's four. And, um, <laughs> of course. And the depends who you ask and it depends for perspective. It's like, it's like, yeah, no, actually these are the top three. So yes. Anyway, yes. But what happens is, you know, people believed in what they were doing. They were able to get people to believe and that's why great things happens because others did great work around them. And, and so the word believership, which is a non-word, it will show up red underlined when you type it in, um, is that notion that great leaders actually created believership cultures where people felt empowered to be heard, seen, recognized, to go do their best work, to continue to grow, to take that personal initiative. Yeah. Um, and so it's as much about self-leadership as it is any other kind of leadership. And I really, in the book, go back and challenge our existing beliefs in the bureaucratic model. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people ask, it's like, well, Mike, that, you know, when we talk about change initiatives inside companies, they'll say, that won't work in our company because our, our CEO doesn't believe in that. Which the question then is begged is how much time do you spend with the CEO? Well, I've never met him. Then, then I think he has less influence over your life than you're giving him credit for. Very good point. And so become the leader of the group that you're in and create those, those, those pods, those, those powerful cells of change and then create another one around you and another one around you and good things will happen. Yes, and in the ripple effect, of course, that is that is great. Um, you said something very powerful in the beginning when you were stressed during this segment, uh, how much, how many times you rented yourself from very visible role in Fortune 500 companies and technical aspects of it, shifts and changes, movement, and then discover something that's most important, which I'm alluding and assuming it's a family, right? And, 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 and your longevity and your, your, your personal life, as well as your professional life. Because a lot of times we see specifically um, in strong male-dominated cultures uh with the leaders that they're just like career 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 and we alienated so much that aspect of human uh, uh face that is including also family and personal life and and life and and work balance and 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 access and time with children and parenting and so many other elements uh do you mind elaborating a little bit more about that so, I mean, there's the reinvention story because I, you know, I, I had my own marketing company for 13 years and I kind of stumbled into technology and did a, um, an internet startup around 2000, one of the first unified communication platforms ever, ever launched. And, and from there, I, I, I really stumbled into the corporate world. So, I mean, like I was 40 years old before I ever had a resume. 
Um, it was a very untraditional path. And so then to be elevated into, you know, senior leadership roles with, you know, nearly a hundred million dollars of P&L responsibility and hundreds of people on my teams, it was, um, I hadn't been brought up through a system where I would acquiesce to the way someone else did it. I just kind of showed up as myself, you know, the same independent goofball that ran his marketing company for 13 years. And, um, and it, it created some challenges, but I think it also afforded some opportunities. You know, and the powerful part about the personal side and the scorecard, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm so fortunate, Isabel. I, I have, you know, five wonderful adult children that are, that are good, productive, you know, they're good people and they're, and they're, they're contributing well to the family and their communities. And, you know, I, I feel, I feel very lucky, very fortunate with that. My, my wife of nearly 30 years now, she, you know, we, we've, we're together, we've, we've navigated all that. And, and what happened is, I, I really, I think I discounted the val the value of that, right? It, like that was my responsibility going through all that, but I never put it on the achievement scorecard. I just didn't look at it that way. And, and it was, it was that point that I reached that, oh my gosh, I'm like, I don't really know what I want to do. I don't want to jump back into another one of these things I've been doing. My kids are out of school. They're in college or graduate college now. Like who, who am I? What, 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 what do I have left to give? What do I have left to achieve? And the things that were most important to me, I had discounted. And the things I thought were most important to me were proving to be rather empty from a soul standpoint. And like, <laughs> truly, I was 55 years old. I was feeling kind of lost. And um, that took some deep work, you know, mind, body, soul, got myself back in shape. I read a lot more. I, I, I was diligent about exploring my spirituality and know where that stood in my life. And, and I flipped the scorecard to value what was valuable. And what's amazing in the end now I realize is it's always been my belief in people that have made me the person or the leader that I was in those situations because I always focused on the people on my team the business stuff was pretty easy. It was, you know, I mean, making big decisions on strategy, it's, we have data to work with. Understanding numbers and, and knowing what shifts to make to make sure we can get those numbers is like, that seemed like the easy part. The part that took intention and focus was, where was everybody else? Did they believe? Did they see? What did they need? Um, how were they evolving in their understanding where they were they able to commit and, and come along the journey um, I think that's the magic and in any leadership book I've read or course I've gone to it's not talked about like it's it's the it's the missing element and nobody talked about it so I wrote it down to share with the world um, and it, you know it's my first book ever and I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I did write it down, those experiences and those ideas. 
and then share kind of how I'm personally putting it into action, which is through this Humans First Club um, initiative, bringing people together from all over the world into events and calls and exploration of our humanity. I think that is so beautiful and brilliant. And usually um, you have to, I always say you have to put a mileage in. You cannot have sense of what you can do with a specific vehicle and how fast and good can drive and all these different turns you can take with unless you're in a driver's seat and driving it. And you cannot have that information. And that's what the years of experience that you distilled that you obviously then reflect back on the most powerful golden nuggets because a lot of times we see people achieving certain accomplishments, but it's like appears that it's so being easy or we just don't know where to start or we don't know how to replicate or duplicate that or disseminate to the others that are seeking the same path or similar path, right? But what is really interesting, what I want to ask you from this believership, and you mentioned in scorecard, and I'm very familiar with scorecard, and obviously it's very uh, popular still as a tool and measure on the individual and organizational performance, right? And uh, do you mind just sharing a little bit for audience and listeners that are not familiar, how are you using scorecard and what scorecard means to you? Because I love that you mentioned you have your own scorecard. And I actually do the same thing because it's like, who holds me the most accountable, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but, but again, it's a, such a great, simple and easy tool to use. So if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about what is it? and how you're using it on individual level, but and how you use it on your organizational level to contribute to your success. Yes. You know, at different stages, there was, um, you know, I was in organizations where the, the balanced scorecard approach and its formal state was, was implemented. So, you know, that, that becomes familiar and, and tools are great, right? Like we embrace tools because they help create structure around the ideas we're capturing. Um, I always think that the tool is used to enhance what we're doing as people, not to dictate what we're doing as people. And that's where tools get misused um, a little bit. Oh. And that's, you know, set aside a little bit. But scorecard for me is, where are my priorities? Like what, what, really, what really matters um, is the intrinsic reward recognized how we feel, how, how we act, how we show up. Is that, is that valuable as a priority or is it just the enumeration? Is it just the, the measured value, the, the gaining more um, status, money, structure, recognition on that level? What I believe in, you know, this gray-haired state of my life is that um, I think we miss the important emphasis on the intrinsic value, um, relationships. How did we impact another person? Um, so we we look at deliverables rather than impact, and I think that's where we misalign. Our priorities and objectives on a scorecard. That is phenomenal because that one is just like execution and doesn't involve human factor, human nature, human dynamic. 
Uh, on the other hand, when we involve that, it comes all that compassion, kindness, heart, love, creativity, because then, then you nurture something, something that can grow like a plant, right? Otherwise, it's like a no growth there. And that's why I see a lot of, of the alienation that we created in the corporate America, for example, you know, coming from Europe, being newbie, going through so much of pain, painful growth, and then finding myself in nonprofit and finding that I was so much heart centered and so much people centered, so much human humanity centered that I couldn't understand how it could be just satisfying making a large amount of money. It's like money is great, but that's like if you are not having friends, if you're not having true colleagues, if you're not having real mentor, if you're not having somebody to look up to, if you're not seeing true leader or leadership in that organization, that you can say, oh my God, I want to be like him or her. When you cannot see demonstrated example of something that truly connects and resonates with you. Yeah. And, and, and I mentioned earlier, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to highlight this, why I love, even though every, as they say, pain and, and crisis gives opportunity, for first time I'm seeing now, yes, we need to be muddy and blurry with all of these lines and alienations that we created so artificially. Uh, that really killed that, you know, dynamics with the family. That is okay to raise the hand to say, you know what, my wife has a bird there, or I have actually something to celebrate with my children, or I have limits where I, how much I can contribute on, on, on today, or, uh, or I have something that I need to do for myself in order to bring back the best performance that I can. And a lot of times we, we exclude that. So do you mind now, like from your perspective, you mentioned and also humanity and the new avenues of that, how are you shifting that? How are you adding um, with these blurred lines, new normal and actually healthy normal, which I think it's important to take in consideration, right? It's so right. And, and you know, it's a beautifully phrased question especially now where we're, you know, everybody's in a state of flux, right? We're going through a period that we didn't prepare for, but people are responding extraordinarily well. When I talk to many companies, their, their overall objectives from, from a production productivity standpoint are still being met. And we realize that we can actually throw away that punch clock mentality that was carried over from the factory days, right? Punch in at seven, punch out for lunch, punch back in, punch out at the end of the day. Um, now, because people are juggling so many dynamics at the same time that were thrust upon them, um, we're realizing that people will do amazing things. If they understand the objective and they're given the room to to get the work done when they can get it fit in with everything else, they'll get the work done. When we try to demand that you have to shut that part of your life down to just focus on this one thing, it's really flawed thinking, right? I mean, truly, when we go to an office setting, how many people are actually working the whole time they're there? Uh, and that is the thing I remember right before all this happened that now virtual work and working from home is has to happen. How many companies even in 2019 had a mentality, if I don't see if you don't show up I don't believe you do any work from home. 
and and they could not or did not want to adjust and then now they're realizing you know so much more dynamics and what their people are doing and actually how much they're trying and and put in extra effort because they have that that liberty and flexibility so maybe not during the day as much but then at night or whatever because they truly desire and they want to contribute and be a very valuable part of the team yeah. such a huge aha moments like it's like yeah we always could have but if we put the trust and one of the key elements for everything is creating trust in working environment yes you're adult you're educated you're smart you're capable you have amazing accomplishments i don't need to breathe behind your neck i don't need to do micromanagement i don't even need to manage you because you can self-regulate self-manage i want you to lead the team and lead the project lead a group isn't it that beautiful place to start from it 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 really gives us an understanding that maybe there was many people that weren't even willing to consider or look at and so now we have this many, many proof points. And think of what that could mean as, as things evolve you know, forward from this state is those companies that won't evaluate or change their minds, they're going to go back to that rigid ideology. They're going to lose a lot of great talent exactly. to those companies that are saying, you can sit wherever you want to, Isabella, if you want to be you know, in the mountains be in the mountains, but you can work for our company in any city around the world. We, we've learned we just want the best people associated with our company, and we don't care where you're sitting. It's no longer contained to who can you know take the train and walk in the door that day. Um, those true. companies that get it, will, it'll be the great you know job exchange of 2021 because they'll attract the, the people that are able to, you know, self, self, um, self lead, self regulate, perform. Um, and those companies that command that rigid old lifestyle are, are going to not be picking from the top of the barrel. But also not only that, but they will not be able to probably self-sustain or sustain very well. So some of them I'm already seeing their trajectory of survival versus thriving. And I also think everything that is being covered or uh, swept under the rug, so to speak, now it's bleeding through. And now I think it's a perfect opportunity to really revisit, like, what can we let go? What do we can clean up? What can we see it's not going anywhere and, and getting us any results? Why, why should we nurture? why should we invest in and what should we put energy towards right so i feel like uh, hopefully people are equally taking time to pause and step back instead of just feeling frantical we need to do something and then just being uh pushing all the buttons that you can possibly push to get somewhere and with the, without really understanding new normal and then how we need to adjust to that new normal right yes there's this great opportunity to become visionaries rather than historians to to envision what's possible um, going forward mm -hmm. because we've gained understanding through a forced situation it's it's been a breaking point and now we can thoughtfully put those pieces back together and create something new so instead of just an improvement program, it really is an innovation program 
where we, we get to reimagine those structures going forward. It, in that sense, it's, it's a beautiful inflection point. That's great. That's wonderful. So seems like you also have a lot of other things coming up and, 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 and obviously you're leading by example. I love that not only what, what I love about specifically your background and you is you're not just theoretically sharing that, but you're applying, you're breeding that. And then and, and also you are Justin as well able to lead others to show them what's possible because transformation can happen painfully, right? Or can happen proactively. It's two ways. And sadly, most people wait to be extremely painful before they take a right action. What would be some of your like top three golden nuggets uh, that you will advise with the current situation, with the landscape? Not only you have obviously Minneapolis, Minnesota, but and we have in the United States and then on global scale, for anyone that is seeking to at least adjust in the best possible way, what would be the top three things to say to start? Going back and evaluating the choices we've made in the past and remaking them or changing them. So I think all of our fundamental systems, processes, beliefs and values that we, that we believe we're operating on as, as individuals and certainly companies, it's, it, it's a necessary exercise now to, to not try to improve something that's not working, saying, oh, we'll just get better at it and then it will fix it. If it's not working, it's a really good time to evaluate it and make a different choice because there are options out there. And for large companies, it, it's amazing, Isabella, that they'll still go back to the advisory systems that were giving them advice prior to this change. And what's amazing is if you look at Accenture, McKinsey, you know, the think tanks, if you will, they're actually in need of the new solution. They don't have the new solution to offer. And so the invitation to companies is find that change agent that is very different from how you've approached it in the past. Because simply getting better at something that's not working is not gonna bring you into the future in a positive way. It really does require to go deep into rethinking, recommitting, and resetting on many of the beliefs and processes that we've operated on up to this point. Brilliant. And I love what you just mentioned. Um, if you have a very skilled leaders and independent thought thinkers, they will always push things forward. What I found from my assessment, specific behavioral and understanding the team dynamics, typically leaders hire people just like themselves in terms of behavior, in terms of personality. So it's impossible, even when you have executive room, C-suite or, or, or boardroom, when you have 90% an average identical same type of mentality, typical alpha male uh, with very strong behavioral, but it's like 
when you have a blind spot, how are you going to fix it, right? When you don't understand what else is missing and it's so easy then to agree because we think alike. But that is the also hindrance for organizations because as you said, we need more independent thinkers. And I remember so many people were always focusing, let's hire for the culture and same and similar cast and put everybody in the same box. You killed the diversity, you killed innovation, you killed automatically creativity there because if you're trying to simulate everybody, we use that cultural fit, which actually is to justify that we want people exactly like ourselves because it's comfortable, it's easy, doesn't challenge us, doesn't make us to train to listen for that accent or doesn't challenge us to listen for that different verbiage somebody is using and, 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 and in different thought process or additional complementary or completely different avenues of solving the issue. And, and you're right, the top four and other consulting firms are struggling because this is not rinse and repeat. This is independent thinking and you need to have that. And you're right, not many organizations are having it and don't know where they go. So it's we're in a really big chaos as a result of it, aren't we? Yes, and I I actually just want to be quiet for a moment and pause and I, like I would almost invite the listeners to go back and rewind that part that you just shared with us because I think It'd be hard to express it any better than you just shared it with us, truly, to repeat that. And it, that, that packaged approach, one size fits all, right? It's, it's like almost like thinking the most brilliant thing we could do to, to change the business is, you know, um, add another flavor of Jello. So it's like, hey, we have six, you know, front facings on the grocery shelf and, and what we can do is let's just add another flavor of jello and that will make everybody happy. And, and that's really that canned, right? Um, repeatable, it will just process it up, package it up, put a new color, a new flavor and, and everything will be fine. And the reality is not everybody wants jello and we have to learn to give people the ingredients to create the meals they need to create, to satisfy their teams, their people. And that sameness, you know, I've, I love the way you brought that forward, Isabella, because if we're ever told, oh, we can't wait until you join us, Isabella, because you're going to fit right in. It's almost like saying you're about to join a very mediocre team because they're all going to be the same. We don't want culture fit. We want culture contribution. We want culture expansion. And so that's a whole different mindset than how we've written job descriptions, how we screen through our ATS systems, our processes of hiring and the questions we ask. All that needs to be rethought, scrapped, and actually reinvigorated in the modern era. I love it. I love it. That is such a great golden nugget right there. Um, and, and, and we have a tendency to just be often complacent, still creates the friction. And now we have a tons of friction, right? Either we like it or not, a forced change. The question is, again, are we elevating our own thought process and our own skill level and our own teams 
so that we can really fill the gap that we're having right now. Yes. Um, and that is so powerful. Thank you, Michael. So um, one thing I want to also just to not want to forget about it, because you also did a lot of different things, but you also patent something. And do you mind sharing how did you come up with this interesting patent and how, what, what prompted you to do that? Child restraining seatbelt. So I, I, I grew up in the family sporting goods business. And so since I was a teenager, I was, you know, working with materials, foam and plastic and, you know, plastic molding. And I, I had an understanding through that um, because it was protective gear for, for, you know, the human body to protect the human body. And, and so I had an understanding of impact on the body and everything else, but um, inventing the, the bodyguard it was called when I licensed it and it went to market. Um, it was a it was a it was a shield that redirected the shoulder strap for children as they were coming out of their car seats. And truly the the way that went, um, I haven't told this story for so long. My my son, our oldest of the five, was was turning four years old. And so he was able to come out of the car seat legally that he, and, and there was a pound regulation on there also, but, but it wasn't safe for him to sit down in a regular seat because the seatbelt would, you know, come across his neck. And so then what parents would do, this is, you know, I'm old, right? So this is years back and we've gotten smarter, but um, is you would put the, the shoulder strap behind. Well, upon impact, if there was a crash, two things were happening to children. There was severe injuries, death, because the shoulder strap would cause tremendous, you know, it was decapitating kids. Honestly, it, it, mm -hmm. horrific, horrific. Mm -hmm. um, if it was behind them, their bodies would thrust forward and, and their skulls would crack on their knees. And, and so if, Children, unless they were in a car seat, they were in danger is really what it was. So what I did is I, I made a shield that would protect the body, the internal organs from the seatbelt itself. And then it would also redirect the shoulder strap so it would fit the child that mm -hmm. was not in the car seat. So, um, so anyway, my wife and I were arguing and she said, he's not coming out of the car seat. And I said, he wants to, maybe we should. And so we went back in the car and I took a piece of cardboard and I sat him down and I sketched out what it might be. I went over to a plastic manufacturer and had to make a prototype, went to a patent attorney and said, I have this idea. And they laughed at me and said, you know what the percentage of people that make even $1 off of a personal patent? And I said, no. And they said, 1%. It's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. So I went through the whole process and, you know, I ended up, um, getting it manufactured and then licensed a company to do it and selling it. And, you know, it was really fun, Isabella, because it, you know, about eight months later, it was on end caps at Target stores and Walmart and um, selling all over. And I was getting, you know, we went through the crash testing stuff, right? So it was fun to like the crash test dummy testing it. And so it was a great experience, but um, it was just, there was a problem there and I, I just felt compelled to try to solve it. And I think in some sense, coming from that point of confusion or that, you know, four and a half years ago now, 
when I launched into believership and then my activating believership became the, the human's first work that I'm doing now, it, there's actually, there's a problem there that, that you're that trying to, be again solved. to solve, and, right? Yeah. And you already, and it's have not that I want to be right. I just no, go ahead. want to continue to try to become better and empower others to um, step into their unique, brilliant talents that they have. Mm. Um, we, we bury the best of ourselves sometimes to fit in and acquiesce to the circumstances around us. And I just encourage everybody to break out of that and, you know, become boldly yourself because you're, you're, you're the, you're the best the world has to offer. That is so powerful and beautiful. And reason I wanted to bring this story and I love that you shared, I just assumed, and, and I'm so glad you, you delivered because you saw the problem you wanted to uh, find a solution. Obviously, you were one of those one percenters who uh, made it major, obviously, uh, headway with that. Now you have a blueprint. You already know how that looks like, how that feels. And now anything else left turns at you, you already know. And, and, and listeners and viewers, I just want to say right now, we live in times more than ever where there's tons of opportunities for us to contribute, to improve, to change. And uh, we have to... Um, just figure it out and, and, and keep at it. And, 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 and as you said, people are so beautiful uh, and, and, and in their natural state, all of our natural state is we want to do something meaningful. We want to do something impactful and something positive. I really believe in despite everything in the goodness of people, uh, not just through my travels from so many countries around the world, but also from working with so many countries and individuals from those countries exclusively and learning. And, and, and right now, I feel like a level field is shifting with the globalization and opportunities that allowed us to do that. So again, kudos. And as a result, how many children are being saved and, and, and their lives and how many parents uh, felt now more secure, more protected just from that one effort that you did not want to skip. And as a result, look at the impact you created. That is phenomenal. I love that. Thank you for allowing that to surface and bringing that out. And, you know, it really, as, as you were sharing that, Isabella, I think it reminds me of another critical point that sometimes we miss. And, and we miss it even in the context that we're sharing today, right? So you, you've invited me into to your show as a guest and, and, and here, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're allowing me to tell, you know, my story and the journey and, and talk about my book. And so you're investing all of this energy to prop me up, to help me get my story out to, you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart. You're investing in, you're investing your energy in another person, me, to help elevate, you know, my, my work, my ideas. And I think people really miss that. And, mm -hmm. and that's our great opportunity is I'm sitting here looking at you on the screen, all, you know, like excited energy is I want you to succeed. Like I, I want 
Isabella Lumberg to be known and and that you have the opportunities to achieve everything you want. And I want to stand there and cheer you doing that, support you however I can. But I, but I truly want to see your light shine. I want to see your star rise and be bright. And somehow that's trained out of us because it's just like, oh, no, no, no. We can't have that person being really successful because they might get some of the piece of the pie that I might get. And so there's this weird competitiveness that we do with each other. And it's such scarcity thinking that the change that's needed to come is so large, none of us individually could fill that gap. And, and instead, of, instead of bringing everybody we can to the party and, and to share in bringing goodness into that gap, we decide to, you know, protect our little corner and, and, and not open that up and bring our goodness out and support each other. And I just think it's, you're doing it. I think even the idea of a podcast, we kind of miss the goodness you're already sharing just by doing this. And that's such a great encouragement back to people invest in contribution with other people so they can succeed. The more people moving, striding, energized down that path to a better future will help everybody. Absolutely. Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, but I, I agree with you. We have to walk our talk and we need to be an example of creating the space for others, not only to shine, but to succeed and support. And this is also a great way for me to connect. I can't travel to Minneapolis, but in the same time, you know, it's like creating new collaborative efforts and, and like-minded individuals so that we can do together faster more, right? Yeah, because sometimes yeah. for some things, we also have a sense of urgency and speed and speaking of that I'm really dying to hear what is on your bucket list and one of my obviously favorite question is um, since this is the legacy leader show what are you anticipating you know you already accomplished so much you already have amazing legacy but what is still there on that bucket list with all of this that is going on that you desire to accomplish so that we can raise that and and and, and help to make it happen that that this is the first time i think i've shared the answer to that um and so there is there is this this vision i have which is I'm, I think I'm moving down the path to, to, to create the, the foundation pieces to allow it to happen. But um, I believe that through Humans First, that there'll be a Humans First festival that will invite in many different organizations and change makers. And so we can share all of the brilliant options that are available for people to choose the path forward because the the mainstream is not the stream we need to be on anymore we need to choose the the brighter faster multiple streams in that same direction and and i would love to bring that together make that available and and celebrate that opportunity so i it might be 2021 it might be 2022 some of it will depend on restrictions but 
that's bucket list near term. And from the legacy standpoint, in the humans first organization, as now we have the different motions going on, the, the global calls that take place weekly, the, the live events, and, and now we're moving into to webinars. There's a, um, a, an LMS platform that's being built, you know, and then the festival ideas. There's a book coming out that 26 people are sharing their stories of how humans first impacted their lives and that first iteration will come out. So th there's good things going on, but I would love to um, keep putting energy into humans first, having it mature and evolve into something that can then be handed off and maintained and carry forward after I decide to, you know, either go fishing or, or <laughs> I tip over or whatever might happen. But um, I think that's the legacy piece is to have something that is positively based on belief in humans and each other that is inclusive and diverse energy source mm. at the very core and can continually be built on and expanded through time whether i'm here or not here wow yeah the echoes to, um, for years and centuries to come that is that is so powerful and beautiful so how they how the listeners and viewers can learn about a human first and the movement that you're creating and then anything that you would like to share in the closing remarks uh, mike thank you um humansfirst.club c-l-u-b is the website for humans first um, mjvacanti.com please find me and um, there's a contact form on each of those sites and and you can reach out to me on social media I would love to say hello and, and connect um, the other thing that I would like to share is is I don't want to miss the opportunity to highlight you know the the beautiful contributions that you're making through your writing and and through through this work and investment in other people it truly is inspiring, Isabella. And thank you for inviting me in to share a piece of this with you. Absolutely, it's, it's my pleasure. And, and it's such a great, again, to hear for someone that I also admire and follow in and pay attention what you're doing. And it just, I'm super excited through my brand, the world messenger and things that I am also doing and listening now what you envision with the humanity. First, uh, I think it's just so many natural, beautiful pieces there that um, I'm just super excited to, you know, finding and, and develop a new tribe and new group of individuals that like-minded individuals. So super excited. It's a Wednesday afternoon and the tornado test warnings are going on outside. So there isn't a weather alert. If you can hear that siren in the background, I thought I should have to. That's just a little bit faintly, but yes. And I had some drilling going on. They're remodeling this beautiful um, uh, building. So it's like parts of it, I guess. So it's just like, wow, guys, life happens, but the beauty is we don't, the message is not lost and, 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 and what we're intended to do. So again, it was absolute pleasure having you, Mike, and looking forward to see how humanity first unfolds on global scale. Thank you very much. Can't wait to talk to you again soon, Isabella. Thank you. Sounds great. Talk to you. Take care.